life is uh, so blessedly tender, so interconnected. We are not separate, separate from cause. Yet, when our hearts get broken, we feel compassion. It's called broken-hearted compassion. Because a lot of times when we feel, you know, you're managing to take care when in, in, of ourselves, it's only when, in my case, I had an abortion, so I began to feel that people had abortions in a certain way. When my mother died, I spoke at a whole different level with everybody whose mother died. Then I had a ski accident. I knew how it was, of breaking my leg. And so it goes. There's a whole different quality when our hearts are broken, mm-hmm. metaphorically speaking. And maybe even so, called broken-hearted compassion. So for this little discourse with you today, I have relied somewhat on a book by Joan Halifax. She's been a teacher for 40 years, uh, especially with the death of dying, but she's had a lot of experience. And she has a wonderful uh, chapter on compassion, uh, several chapters. And so I would like to read to you a little bit from her so that you can get a feeling for this compassion. But before I speak, I read from Joan, I'd like to also read something that the Dalai Lama said. He said, compassion is not religious business. It is human business. It is not luxury. It is essential for human survival. And then he goes on, however capable and skillful an individual may be, left alone, he or she will not survive. However vigorous and independent one may feel during the most prosperous periods of life, when one is sick or very young or very old, one must depend on the support of others. I believe that at every level of society, familial, tribal, national, and international, the key to a happier and more successful world is the growth of compassion. If somebody asks you what the key to a more successful world might be, you might not have come up with compassion, I wonder. Remember when I asked Allen Ginsberg that? Some of you might have been here. I asked him, you know, what's the most important thing? wanting to you know, save the world, as I did when I was 32, I think. And he said, the breath. And it just fell short for me. And it was only through really working with the breath in a lot of ways that eventually I agreed with him. And now here, the Dalai Lama saying compassion. So time to work with compassion in a certain way. So Joan says, When we're at the edge in the danger of falling over the precipice into suffering, compassion 
is the most powerful means I know for keeping our feet firmly planted on the earth and our hearts wide open. When I heard the little Nepalese girl's cry, cries as her burns were being clean, cleaned, compassion helped me stay grounded in empathy and navigate away from empathetic distress. When I have confronted the systemic violence of war, racism, sexism, and environmental degradation, compassion has reminded me of my values, helping me to act from a place of integrity rather than getting mired in chronic moral outrage. Mm. During my years of sitting with dying people and volunteering in a maximum security prison, compassion kept me from burning out. Compassion has been my greatest ally in the hardest of times. Not only has my life been strengthened by compassion, but those whom I have served may have benefited as well. I have also been the recipient of compassion. My life has been profoundly affected by times when others have shown me great kindness. Many years ago, I was lying in a hospital bed waiting for surgery, shivering with fear. A Buddhist friend sat with me. As the team arrived to take me into the operating room, my friend squeezed my hand and with a steady gaze said, remember who you really are. His touch, his word, sent a wave of relief through me and I dropped into a place that was larger than my dread of surgery, vaster than my fear of death. When, like my friend, we offer compassion, it burns forth from our hearts like a comet. This is the spirit of Avalokiteshvara, or in our tradition we say Konsyampotel, the bodhisattva of great compassion, who hears the cries of the world and responds with a boundless heart, one that does not sink like a heavy stone in the waters of suffering, but is broken open like a geode. You know geode, right? Yeah. To the rare space within, glittering with light for those who are struggling in darkness. Compassion is defined as feeling genuine concern about the suffering of another, and desiring to improve that one's welfare. Compassion also helps us meet our own suffering and that of others with an appropriate response. And remarkably, compassion is the path out of the toxic aspects of the edge states, pathological altruism. It's an interesting way to put when we aren't quite right in balance about our altruism. Empathetic distress, moral suffering, disrespect, and burnout. Why? Because compassion calls forth our best human capacities. Attentional balance and caring, unselfish intention and insight, and ethical action in a way that no other response does. And here's somebody who's just in the midst of uh, a, a really difficult situation. His name is Dr. Gary Pasternak, and 
he works in a mission hospice uh, in California. And he wrote to Joan, I'm up late admitting patients to the inpatient hospice unit. And I think we all have a version of we're up late or we're in the midst of this or no time and all of a sudden, just when I think I'm too old for these late nights without sleep, a person in all their rawness, vulnerability, and pain lays before me, and as my hands explore the deep wounds in her chest and my ears open to her words, my heart cracks open once again. And this night, a sweet 36-year-old woman with her wildly catastrophic breast cancer speaks of her acceptance and her hope for her children and she speaks with such authenticity and authority. And her acceptance comes to me as the deepest humility a person can experience. And then again, once again, I remember why I stay up these late nights and put myself in the company of the dying. So how, let's look at our tradition and see how to uh, practice compassion. We have um, some really wonderful books available. This one, No Time to Lose, which we um, study on Thursday morning and have been for maybe six or seven years now, just going through it over and over again is really about the development of compassion because the method to develop compassion is via the six paramitas, the six perfections. And this book is devoted, a wonderful work on them, and Pema Chodron has some very good commentary. In this Tibetan book of living and dying, which I often refer to, there's a whole section on the actual practices of compassion when you're in a situation feels very repulsive, perhaps, but you put your own self in the position of the person and think, how would I treat myself or your sister or someone you love? Anyway, this is a wonderful book. I read it when my mother <coughs> was dying, and I would fly back and forth to Vancouver, British Columbia to be with her over several months until she died. And this is the book that was my Bible at that time. So, so many good things. So they are, these are books that are like my little handbook that I'm often referring to. And one that I don't look at so much, but everybody tells me is so good, and all of Pema's books are good, is When Things Fall Apart. So I just wanted to mention them to you. And of course, Joan just came out this, uh, with this one, Standing at the Edge, just this year. And she goes over a whole bunch of different kind of qualities that would be necessary for us to fulfill the bodhisattva's vow of trying to help all beings, first of all, ourselves. Okay, so I'd like to look at the paramitas, because most of us, um, do, does anybody here have the paramitas memorized and be willing to say them aloud? <laughs> okay, please do stand up and wait. 
turn around so more people can hear you. Donna Paramita, may I be generous and helpful. Sheila Paramita, may be pure and virtuous. Kashanti Paramita, may I be patient, may I be the bearer and forbear the wrongs of others. Virya Paramita, may I be strenuous, energetic, and persevering. Dhyana Paramita, may I practice meditation and gain concentration and oneness to serve all beings. Prajna Paramita, May I gain wisdom and be able to give the benefit of my wisdom to others. Thanks, Henry. Good to have those in your pocket because sometimes you just need something inspirational in situations. So the paramitas can be them. The six paramitas, as I said, or paramita means perfection, and it also means going to the other side. It sort of it means on the transformation of the situation to a more wholesome way. So the six paramitas or perfections of Buddhism are the qualities of compassion. So let's look at the first one, generosity. Generosity, as I shared a couple of weeks ago, involves material giving, the emotional giving, energetic giving, and wisdom giving, giving of the Dharma. If we look at a couple of things, that fit into those four. One is attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. Isn't that interesting? Just being able to give attention. Doesn't cost anything. And just learning to do that. So that's one of the things the meditation practice helps us to do. And also, all of our practices help us with the practice of giving no fear. So this is like a kind of generosity that we don't really think of, but the fact of, here I am. What do I need to be doing right now? And you just go ahead with it, giving no fear, not being held back, throwing yourself uh, into this moment. Remember, how do you save a single drop of water? Throw it in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. So the first paramita is generosity. The second paramita is virtue. And somehow virtue is also it's a built around the precepts, which are ethical or moral guidelines in Buddhism. Uh, may I cherish and not harm all life. May I speak the truth and not lie. And, and people who formally become Buddhists really work with those. And so they become like vows. So this whole paramita about virtue is about having made some vows and keeping by them. Yeah. And of course, um, it's a, so that means we direct a, a kind of principled compassion toward people. You can think of what unprincipled compassion might be. But we they're in the principle compassion is according with our vows, not to harm, not to lie, not to steal, not to misuse. So that's the second virtue, and then the third is patience. And it's being fully in the present moment 
and letting go of the aggression we might experience when we realize we can't control outcomes. That's interesting, eh? Because I think we get impatient quite a lot, and it's all because we're trying to control the situation. People tell me most about that when they're driving. (laughs) (laughs) That it shows up for them, trying to control the traffic. So we can't bear to wait, and we have to learn to trust, and to just let go and be in the situation, patient. There's this man, A.T., Arya Ratner, she's the head of the Sagadoya movement in, um, in Sri Lanka. And she visited here maybe about 20 years ago. They were raising money for the movement. And um, she, um, she has a, they have a big problem in Sri Lanka with conflict among the Hindus, the Buddhists, and Muslims. Isn't that interesting? Well, it's all over these days, everything. But it's been going on for 500 years. And so his Sagadoya movement was um, uh, formed, and he formed it with others, to try to work with this and to transform these conditions. And he said, and it's been going on for 500 years. And he said, it will take 500 years to transform these conditions. And I have a plan. And I really like that he said that, you know, 500 all know, how are you going to be able to do anything? He said, and I have a plan. And he said he's going to have a 500-year peace plan. He's going to um, have peace activities around the country, economic development projects in the poorest areas, and basic simple rights for all. I remember reading about the Sargadoya movement and and being impressed by the simplicity by which people who were touched by the movement were learning to live. With just a few clothes and just a few things so that everybody could have something. It's quite beautiful. So here's a a kind of patience that we think have to think about because most of our patience runs out within a couple of minutes. But if we can look for a greater perspective, then we can just take care of each moment, and it unfolds in that way. So the third paramita is patience. The fourth paramita <coughs> is may I be strenuous, energetic, and persevering. It's a wholeheartedness. Yeah. And so it says living life with a kind of imperative of compassion, with no holds barred. So it means that you really give it a try. I'm going to be compassionate no matter what. It takes energy and determination to keep showing up, whether you're in a classroom or kind of a business office, maybe even your workshop, hospitals, boardrooms, (coughs) refugee camps, even our own homes. We have to show up <coughs> in a certain sense. And so it just takes a kind of energy and determination and maybe some more altruism than we thought was possible to really show up in the places of our life. 
Remember, every time we get broken open by this kind of contraction, other people feel it. We feel it more too. Then the next one is concentration. The fifth paramita is concentration. And with patience, it is a way to prevent escape from the present moment. Interesting thing to uh, think about. The other day, you know, Mara Om said to me, well, how did you ever think about running away? Sometimes living at the temple is pretty challenging. No, it's not all this, you know, la la peaceful land. <laughs> it is about real life and working with people. We live with other people. And so it takes a, a concentration, and our development of it is a way to hang in with the present moment when it feels like all we want to do is get out of town. The issue about getting out of town is that we always take our characteristics with us. <laughs> so where is there to escape to? <laughs> I know. So let's see. Concentration is about the present moment, and it's about being alert, gentle, and present to whatever arrives, especially unbiased and attentive, not subject to our monkey mind. And so that's why we keep practicing meditation, to come, come back to this breath in this moment, or whatever our practice is. Come back to my grandson, Finn, who's having a fit because of not getting what we've got. And all the different variations, but coming back to what seems to be what we least want to have to deal with because we're working on our heart, our compassion. So that's concentration and wisdom. There's um, a, a few different kinds of wisdom. Um, wisdom is really not about being smart and being able to use information and facts. In fact, that often turns off the situation when somebody comes in with their talking head. You know, The wisdom that is meant in this six paramita is the power of discernment and the presence of compassion. The power of discernment. So we kind of see the situation. I had an interesting um, opportunity to deal with that the other day. Um, I had someone visit who I've known for many years, and uh, he had something he wanted to ask me about. And what I find all the time is that he um, always acts as if he's crazy and no good. And he comes out with that a lot. And I could, in my head, say, look, you know, you've got this pattern that you always do, and it's not true. You know, and I kind of sometimes tell him that in a certain way. But what I do is just engage him so that he has to show his true self. And he's simply marvelous. He writes the best poetry in town. It doesn't think he does. Well, among the best, I know there's some other poets here. <laughs> but he has really somehow talked himself into being a crazy person who really can't do anything, and so has to stay home and 
look after his parents for the rest of his life. They were in their 80s. And uh, actually, uh, it's very worthy that he's doing that. And he's actually working with homeless people, but, and it's very worthy that he's doing that. But if I would just took him for what I see and didn't see past that, we'd never get anywhere. I'd want to get rid of him as soon as possible. Because he keeps talking about how unworthy he is. So wisdom is something that we develop so we can see clearly what's happening and that we are able to talk to people at that level and also uh, to be with people at that level. This guy, um, Sweet Morrow, um, was put, he's a Buddhist, he now is a Buddhist, when he was put in prison for 14 years for drug dealing, he wasn't, but he took up Buddhism. And when he came out of prison, it's interesting that he said, I have, uh, uh, while I'm in prison, I've met all of these people, murderers, rapists, child molesters, embezzlers, every kind of criminal. And I feel I know truly myself that inside these people are really good people. You know, they really are. And so when we learn wisdom, we learn to see through all the drag outfits that people throw around me. Remember I was telling you, room talk that everybody goes to drag. But underneath that is this Buddha nature and usually a great deal of good, solid common sense and wisdom. But people don't get a chance, so we have to take the lead with this wisdom paramita. And um, Joan says, it's seeing and understanding the interconnectedness of all beings and things, the truth of impermanence, the causes of suffering. So we begin to have those to interface the world with and respond beautifully, six paramitas. So I would like now to um, just have you uh, repeat the paramitas as a practice. <coughs> and these are the ones that Joan wrote from seeing the basic ones that someone just gave um, when he recited them to us. Contemplation on the six paramitas. We begin by gathering our attention on the inhale and dropping into the body on the exhale. So bringing your focus in as you inhale. As you exhale, have a sense of feeling your whole body. So we begin by gathering our attention on the inhale and dropping into the body on the exhale. We recall our intention to help to end the suffering of others. And then slowly proceed. And after, when I say it, please say it after me. Number one, may I be generous. May I be generous. generous. Breathing in, breathing out. Number two, may I cultivate integrity and respect. May I cultivate integrity and respect. Let's do the numbers, please. Just reflecting a little in the time. 
Number three, may I be patient. Number three, may I be patient. And clearly see the suffering of others. And clearly see the suffering of others. Breathing in. Breathing out, feeling the whole body. Number four, may I be energetic, steadfast, and wholehearted. And number four, may I be energetic, steadfast, and wholehearted. Number five, may I cultivate? Number five, may I cultivate a calm and inclusive mind and heart. A calm and inclusive mind and heart. So I can compassionately serve all beings. So I can compassionately serve all beings. Breathing in, breathing out, learning always to pause and breathe. Number six, may I nurture wisdom. Number six, may I nurture wisdom. And impart the benefit of any insights I may have to others. And impart the benefits of any insights I may have to others. Breathing in, breathing out. And the question comes, why not do it now? Why not live fully now? Why not live to end the suffering of others now? What else would I want to do with my life? 